Blog Talk Radio. Well, welcome tonight to our show. This is the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff, your host. Well, tonight we're going to talk about basically a special type of, uh, I guess you could call it intersectionalism. It seems to be a term that's in vogue now, uh, the idea of intersectionality is a term, um, to best my understanding, uh, borrowed from the field of sociology. And what it does is it speaks to the fact that nothing really happens in a vacuum, all right? What you do affects others. Think of the world's problems as akin to uh, the ripples in a pond when you throw a stone. It just keeps going and going. And as those ripples grow, that is probably a good example of intersectionality. Tonight, if you saw our advert, you saw the TED, the uh, title, Climate Crisis is a Crisis for the World's Children, and it's very true. Um, this week's kind of special. It's not that I'm really religious, I'm not, but I guess eh, a little bit. This week, uh, during the Days of Awe, which is the period of time between the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, um, we... As, as Jews, the idea is you're supposed to focus on your how you've lived your life, all right, how it's affected other people, how you could be a better person. It's a period of time for introspection, but not just introspection by itself. It's a period of time where you're supposed to consider what you've done and make amends, okay, fix it. And the kids are right. And so this week I chose to focus on the looming global climate crisis as what it is, a life-threatening crisis for the world's children. Uh, Both the United Nations and UNICEF have created reports recently documenting what can only be called this global disgrace, and it is a disgrace. Not only is the planet reeling to the edge of extinction, this is not hyperbole, folks, it's true, but with it, children from impoverished nations in particular What the mainstream media doesn't want the public to realize is that environmental injustice, environmental racism stems from economic injustice. If you don't have any economic power in this world, newsflash, for all practical purposes, you don't have any political power, which means you're at the bottom of the barrel. You can't separate the two issues of environmental justice from economic justice. You just can't. And the one group that is helpless, for the most part, to stem the tide of all these crimes against humanity and crimes against the planet are the children. And yet some of these children are standing up and shaming the adults, and God bless them. So I'm going to discuss these reports. And now the one report from UNICEF is pretty long. It's a almost 130 pages. I'm actually going to discuss the um, the executive summary report of the longer report, but you can check them out yourself, actually. Um, I'm also going to discuss the role of mainstream, in other words, corporate media, as they continue to push the fallacy of false equivalence in the reporting. All right, this idea that, well, you know, The other side has some points, too. Not necessarily. And when they push this false equivalence fallacy, 
what mainstream corporate media is doing is little more than overpriced stenography. I'll just call it for what it is. So I won't mince words, and those of you who listen routinely know that I don't. Um, there's no room for ambiguity here. Either you work for economic and social and environmental equity for everybody, but especially the world's poor and the children of the poor, or you cannot call yourself a moral or good person. You just can't. It's, it's, it's that simple. You know, Dr. King made uh, one of Dr. King's most famous quotes was the idea that um, the rich, they give charity. But I, I'm just paraphrasing. The idea was uh, it's more important to abolish the systems which cause the need for charity than to celebrate those that give their alleged charity. So for the Bill Gates of the world, Bill Gates, the, the Jeff Bezos, you know, um, you know, the Adelsons, all of them, they need to get not just a reality check, they need to get a morality check. Seriously. So let's talk about how the climate crisis is a crisis for the children. And I'm going to start right up here. Thanks to the fossil fuel industry, our children worldwide have become an endangered species. Global climate change, let's call it what it is, and I've said this many times before, it's global climate devastation. All right? I'm, I'm not going to soft pedal it. And it is making our children an endangered species. And the majority of the damage done to this planet has come from the fossil fuel industry, period. We've talked about it before on this show with plenty of documentation. You can always look back on it. Looking at that now, I would just say very bluntly, Greta Thunberg is right. She's been right since the first day of her high school strike. The planet is being murdered. Multiple pollutants are responsible, but the main driver is the fossil fuel industry, period. Now, thanks to a UNICEF report, we have hard data that clearly documents the correlation between the climate degradation caused mainly by the fossil fuel industry and worldwide child endangerment. You can't claim to be a good person, a moral person, and just have this idea in your head, well, you'll take care of your own children and then to hell with everyone else's. You can't do that. All right, the wealthy nations of the world are producing the majority of the pollution, but it's the poor nations of the world, poor, poorer and browner, you know, communities of color that are paying the utmost price. This is an issue of morality. I'm tired of hearing about, well, this is business. Business is business. No, it's not. This isn't business. This is piracy, pure and simple. And the fact that a teenage girl, Greta Thunberg, had to go on strike to get the attention of the adults. And the mainstream media did pay attention to her. Then they made her into a stereotype, which they just were able to set aside. And they shouldn't have done that. This young lady is right on the money. It's time for the adults to do what they're supposed to do. So there was a piece uh, 
from the Independent Media Institute, written by a journalist named Reynard Loki. And the headline was, Climate Crisis Putting a Billion Children, with a B, at, quote, extremely high risk, end quote, warns new UN report. I don't know how this can be any more clear. So there's a quote here from Greta Thunberg in 2019. To quote Greta, quote, adults keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope, but I don't want your hope. I want you to be hopeful. I'm, I'm sorry, let me read that again. I made a mistake again. My, pardon me, I missed a word. Let me start again. Greta said in 2019, quote, adults keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope, but I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day, end quote. And she's right. And this young woman is a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. All right. We have from the mouths of babes, right? But she might get her wish. So according to this article, Greta, along with some other youth activists worldwide, have collaborated with UNICEF. Uh, and what they did is they launched a new report that discovered this big finding that a billion children across the world are at extremely high risk. And they're at extremely high risk, quote, from the impacts of climate change, end quote. Okay, so this, this report was released uh, before the United Nations Climate Change, Co climate change Conference that's going to be held in Glasgow. And it was released also on the third anniversary of Fridays for the Future, which was the youth-led global climate strike movement that Greta Thunberg started. And um, there is a, uh, the report here, that one of the titles is The Climate Crisis is a Child Rights Crisis. This is the first climate report to combine, quote, high-resolution geographic maps detailing global environmental and, and climate impacts with maps that show regions where children are vulnerable due to an array of stressors, including poverty and lack of access to education, health care, or clean water, end quote. Now, this report also introduces a new index called the CCRI, and what that acronym stands for is the Children's Climate Risk Index. Now, this index is a composite index and it ranks every nation in the world based on uh, a child's exposure to climate shocks, okay? And a climate shock, basically, not only the climate change event that is catastrophic, but how it negatively impacts children in particular. And this is really the first comprehensive look at how children really are being negatively impacted by the climate crisis. And it also, offers what you could call a roadmap for policymakers so that they can prioritize action uh, and give highest priority to those most at risk, which are the children, especially children in the poorest nations, and especially children in um, parts of the global south, especially Africa. So uh, this article also lists Nick Reese, who is a policy specialist at UNICEF, and he, he focuses on climate change and economic analysis. He's also one of the report's authors. 
And Mr. Reese told the Guardian that, quote, it essentially shows the likelihood of a child's ability to survive climate change. So, end quote. So we're not talking about whether a child is negatively impacted only. This is whether or not a child survives. Think about that for a minute. How many of you here in the United States uh, in the nice affluent suburbs have to worry whether or not your child survives? Of course, with COVID, that's another story. But the point is, this is what this report is talking about, child mortality. And it's child mortality because of the fossil fuel industry pushing global climate devastation and the greed of the markets. Okay. So Mr. Reese, go from UNICEF, goes on, and here's the quote. Quote, for the first time, we have a complete picture of where and how children are vulnerable to climate change. And that picture is almost unimaginably dire. Climate and environmental shocks are undermining the complete spectrum of children's rights, from access to clean air, food, safe water, to education, housing, freedom from exploitation, and even their right to survive. Virtually no child's life will be unaffected. Now, this quote here is actually attributed, uh, I stand corrected, to Henrietta Foray, who is UNICEF's executive director. Um, Foray also went on to say, quote, for three years, children have raised their voices around the world to demand action. UNICEF supports their calls for change with, with an unarguable message. The climate crisis is a child rights crisis. I wonder if anyone in D.C. can hear us. So the report, besides, the report besides uh, discovering that approximately 1 billion, with a B, 1 billion children live in countries that are at extremely high risk from climate impacts, the report also found that almost, quote, almost every single, single child on the planet has been exposed to at least one climate or environmental stressor, and, end quote. And these stressors are things such as air pollution, flooding, heat waves, tropical storms, flooding, or drought. So they said flooding twice. This one billion children, it should be mentioned, is just slightly under half of the world's child population. Half. Something to think about here. The report also found that 850 million children, which is approximately one-third of the pediatric population of the world, are exposed to four or more stressors. Now, keep in mind, here in the United States, you know, especially in affluent areas, if a child's parents are going through even an amicable divorce, counselors come out. Junior is given every sort of assistance, but we're talking about children in Africa, in Central and South America, in parts of Asia that don't have access to clean water. So they're at risk for multiple uh, infectious and fatal diseases. These are children who don't have access to education so they can make something of themselves. 
These are children that a lot of times are forced into slave labor or the girls are forced into child marriages. These are children that die in the middle of a storm. And when you talk to people here in the United States in more affluent communities, and you mention, you know, we may have to change our ways here. You know, we may have to build great mass transit and maybe the, the age of the, individ, the, age of the um, individual car has ended and usually the response you get from so-called nice people is, oh, that will never happen. We're so selfish that we can't make the slightest sacrifice. Even though children are dying out there. And then these same people go to their churches wearing their Sunday best, and they feel all superior because they'll scream, they're pro-life. Mind you, they want rights for a zygote, which is really about controlling women. But they don't give a damn about children dying in the global south for things that are totally preventable. Not to mention the fact that we are pretty much destroying this planet. I don't know if this world's going to be habitable for not just our kids, our grandkids. So let's move on to this report. So this report, again, also found, <coughs> excuse me, that one billion children are considered highly exposed to, quote, exceedingly high levels of air pollution. Additionally, 920 million are highly exposed to water scarcity. 820 million are highly exposed to heat waves, enough they could kill an adult. 815 million are highly exposed to lead pollution, which destroys their brains. 600 million are highly exposed to vector-borne diseases. 400 million are highly exposed to tropical storms. 330 million are highly exposed to riverine flooding and 240 million are highly exposed to coastal flooding. And yet, from the mainstream media, you hear virtually nothing except this false equivalence fallacy. Seriously. But they're pro-life. Again, because they want to safeguard a zygote. But I don't know, maybe that's if it's the white zygote. I don't know. The children of color in the global south, they couldn't care less. This is a moral failure. I don't usually get this preachy, but I don't know how to reach people anymore. There was a time when you would speak of this and people would hang their heads in shame, as well they should, and they'd at least try to do something. But now... Oh, no, we can't give up our toys. We can't give up our individual cars for mass transit. We can't give up, you know, women using basically an SUV or a a minivan as some sort of status symbol. I mean, how many times have you seen a little woman driving a big SUV with one little kid in the backseat? That's it. And and that's all they have in their family. They don't really need that big gas guzzler, but it's a status symbol. Your status symbol is costing children's lives elsewhere. 
That's what I tell some of these women. There's another quote here, all right, and this is from Thunberg herself, Greta Thunberg, quote, Children bear the greatest burden of climate change. Not only are they more vulnerable than adults to the extreme weather, toxic hazards, and diseases it causes, but the planet is becoming a more dangerous place to live, end quote. Now, Thunberg worked with three other youth climate activists uh, on this report, and they are Adriana Calderon from Mexico. I hope I'm pronouncing these right, and if I'm not, I apologize. Farzana, Far, Farzana Farouk Jumu from Bangladesh, and Eric Yuguna from Kenya. Now, the report, for, the report forward says the following, quote, In 1989, virtually every country in the world agreed children have rights to a clean environment to live in, clean air to breathe, water to drink, and food to eat. Children also have rights to learn, relax, and play. But with their lack of action on climate change, world leaders are failing this promise, end quote. This is from all four youth activists. They went on to say, quote, our futures are being destroyed, our rights violated, and our pleas ignored. Instead of going to school or living in a safe home, children are enduring famine, conflict, and deadly diseases due to climate and environmental shocks. These shocks are propelling the world's youngest, poorest, and most vulnerable children further into poverty, making it harder for them to recover the next time a cyclone hits or a wildfire sparks, end quote. There's another quote here from Mitzi Janelle Tan, who's a youth campaigner from the Philippines, who also helped launch the UNICEF report. Quote, one of the reasons I'm a climate activist is because I was born into climate change like so many of us has, have been. I have such vivid memories of doing my homework by the candlelight as typhoons raged outside, wiping out the electricity, and growing up being afraid of drowning in my own bedroom because I would wake up to a flooded room. This child was afraid of drowning in her own bedroom. But the wealthy nations don't care as long as they have their big gas-guzzling cars. And as long as they keep pushing fossil fuels so that the markets can keep making more and more money. Shame on them. This is not only a crime against humanity, it's a crime against the planet. The United Nations really needs to add the proposed crime of ecocide to the world criminal, the International Criminal Court at a sixth charge. Let's move on. This is going to be kind of a short report this tonight, but this isn't the first. We're going to keep reporting on this. This is merely an introduction. This certainly will not be the last time I report on this. All right. So in addition to the climate risk that these children, these babies have to face, this report also revealed the inequity regarding who actually suffers the most, the most impact of climate change, all right? And what they found is really vile, okay? 
So there are 33 extremely high-risk countries for children, and they include the following, the Central African Republic, Chad, Nigeria, Guinea, and Guinea-Bissau. And collectively, those countries are the most high-risk for children, even though they only cause 9% of global carbon dioxide emissions. Now, there was a 2020 report that was produced by Oxfam, and what they found was that the richest 1% of people, the richest 1% of nations, are responsible for 15% of cumulative emissions worldwide. And that's twice as much as the poorest half of the global population. So basically, the poor, including the children of the world's poor, suffer the most for the crimes of the wealthy. No other way to put it. So once again, Henrietta Foray is quoted, quote, climate change is deeply inequitable. While no child is responsible for rising global temperatures, they will pay the highest cost. The children from countries least responsible will suffer most of all. Okay. The report's authors also made the connection between this climate inequality and to COVID-19. All right. And they explained that the pandemic, quote, has revealed the depth of what can go wrong if we do not listen to science and act rapidly in the face of a global crisis. It has laid bare the inequality that cuts across and within countries. The most vulnerable are often propelled further into poverty due to multiple risk factors, including poor access to vaccines, creating vicious cycles that are difficult to escape, end quote. Okay. These reports have also said in order to avoid the worst impacts of global climate change, that man-made emissions of carbon dioxide have to be cut in half by 2030. Keep in mind, that's only a little, little under nine years away. And we have to reach net zero by 2015. I mean, 2050, excuse me. Now, that's according to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. I suspect it's worse than that. Now, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is the UN's um, group for basically assessing the current um, state of the world's climate change. Okay? Uh, there, and again, we've mentioned this before, there was a report uh, released by the IPCC on August 9th that, yes, attributed global climate change unequivocally to human activity. Um, and UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez called the IPCC's report, quote, a code red for humanity, end quote. And it is. Okay. There's another quote from Thunberg. Today, quote, today we use 100 million barrels of oil every day. There are no politics to change that. There are no rules to keep that oil in the ground. So we can't save the world by playing by the rules because the rules have to change. Everything needs to change and has to start today, end quote. Now, I'm going to add something. A lot of adults believe, because they've been listening to corporate media, that the renewables 
are not really feasible. That solar is not feasible, wind's not feasible. Not true. They're quite feasible, actually. The fact is that the fossil fuel industry wants you to believe that it's not. They want, and it's for no other reason that they want every penny of profit. For 90 years, and we've reported on this show about that, for 90 years, the United States government has gifted the fossil fuel industry with subsidies that they don't need anymore. And if we took those subsidies away and put them towards not only renewables, but making renewables affordable for average Americans, we'd be in better shape. Okay. The thing is this, this report, UNICEF isn't just calling on governments and businesses to protect children from climate devastation. That's part of it. And that means we have to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But they're all, UNICEF's also demanding that we increase investments in the health and hygiene, health and hygiene services for children, in education and clean water, and providing children with climate education and green skills. And this report also says including young people in climate negotiations and decision-making. Okay. Keep in mind, the top talks on climate change are going to be taking place very soon in Glasgow. Um, and I'm hoping that groups like Extinction Rebellion embarrass to tears these world leaders because Again, not just here in the United States, it seems like all over the world, these political leaders have been bought off. Okay, they're bought and paid for by big money, not just including fossil fuel, fossil fuel industry, but also the ba big banks that fund fossil fuel. The bottom line, very simply, is. It is rare to find, and I can hear the laughter, but it's rare to find anybody honest in politics. The world is being murdered in front of our eyes, and these politicians are still playing these childish games. We don't have time for this anymore. And keep in mind, the world's rich, whether it's through fossil fuel or the big banks, whatever, they are the people that are really controlling everything. And guess what? They're addicts, in my opinion. The, the, the billionaire class, the big banks, they are addicts. The only difference between them and opioid addicts is that their opioid of choice is wealth, power, and vanity. And let's face it, folks, addicts are crazy. You can't get responsible leadership from an addict. But that's who's in charge of everything. It doesn't matter if you're a liberal or a conservative. It really doesn't because, once again, everybody should care about this. Everybody should want to, one, try and save what we can of this world for future generations. Period. It's time for the adults to stop behaving like children, ironically, and be adults. Protect the children, not victimize them. You know, I taught for 30 years, and I taught children with special needs. And 
this makes my blood boil every single time. You know, my the way I was raised, you know, my father, when, when I was a little child myself, um, just to point something out, he said, if there was a baby in the middle of the road about to be run over, would you want to find out what what religion or what race that child was before you decide to save him, would you save the baby? And, of course, you save the baby, period. That's the problem. The people in charge don't want to save these babies, and we need to save these babies. It's our moral duty. So, anyway, this is the actual kind of summation of the report. Uh, this piece was written by Raynard Loki. He is a writing fellow at the Independent Media Institute. He also is the editor-in-chief correspondent for Earth Food Life. Um, so once again, he's also his work's been published by Yes Magazine, Salon, Truthout, BillMoyers.com, and so on. Okay, so we're going to go for. Excuse me, a little, not quite 30 minutes more, and then we're going to end this. Okay, so we've pointed out the problems. How do we improve the standard of living for all children? You know, both climate justice, educational justice, um, you know, the right to go to school, the right to be free, to be to be the right to be free from exploitation, from child labor. Well, all of that comes from economic justice because if you don't have economic justice, you don't have any power. I mean, you can't separate the two. You know, politicians love separating social justice issues from fiscal issues. There's a reason for that, folks, and you need to think about it for a minute. There's this artificial separation, but they want you to think that way because the fact is this. If you don't have any economic justice and no economic power, just even as a citizen, then it's easy to dilute your votes. It's easy to suppress your vote. Um, and we're seeing this every day. And then they say, well, but we believe in social justice. You know, How many times have you seen people like Nancy Pelosi who brag about she's a social justice liberal, but a more fiscally conservative. Well, if you're already wealthy, you can afford to do that, all right? But if you're like me and you grew up poor and you grew up at times, you know, my father was ill, and so there were times when we weren't sure if we were going to make rent, if we were going to be out on the street, you name it, and it affects the child. It truly does. And... Uh, you know, it tears with their need for stability. And at that point, then, you can't separate the two. You know, so you're going to fight for social justice so that, you know, if a child turns out to be, you know, gay, for instance, well, that's nice. You'll welcome them, but you're not going to, you won't welcome the fact that they're entitled to a living wage. You won't welcome the fact that they're entitled to health care for all, that it's a human right. You can't separate the two folks. Why do you think the rich focus so much on fiscal issues? Because social issues don't cost them any money. Fiscal issues means power. That's money. Money's power. Wake up. Smell the coffee, people. Don't let them divide us. 
seriously. You can't separate fiscal issues from social issues. They, justice is justice. You know, recently there was a report that surfaced, and this came from uh, Joseph Stiglitz, who is a Nobel Prize winning economist. And he basically said that, you know, the minimum wage has been suppressed since at least the 70s. And if it had been indexed for inflation, the minimum wage now would be about $26 an hour. Because the minimum wage, when it was first established, wasn't intended. It was never intended to be a a student wage. The minimum wage, when it was first enacted, was never intended to be a wage for a teenager working at McDonald's. It was meant to force businesses to pay basically the bare minimum that you could survive on, essentially a living wage. And back in the 1960s, it was. So, folks, again, you can't, and I know I'm kind of going off topic a little bit, but you can't separate social justice, issues of social justice from issues of, of fiscal justice. They go hand in hand. And UNICEF talks about that as well. They focus on social services, but once again, um, when you look at, again, environmental justice, you can't have environmental justice without economic justice. Um, If you are making a starvation wage, this is what I'm trying to get at, and we've seen it with COVID, for instance, and let's say you want to go and get a vaccine, but your employer won't give you paid time off to go do that or give you a day off in case you're not feeling well the next day, then guess what? You're too dependent on that daily wage. You don't dare lose a day's wages to get the shot or you don't dare risk your job. And that's what's happening here. Um, If you don't have some rights as an employee, as a worker, then you have no political rights. That's what it boils down to. If you are totally dependent on a starvation wage, you're going to forego things that you need because you are essentially a wage slave. And the system was designed to maintain that. Okay. So while I agree with UNICEF, the goal has to be extended to include economic justice, which means a living wage for all workers. But let's take a little look at the UNICEF report that I was talking about. Okay. There is another uh, UNICEF report, too, which is titled Fiscal Equity and Social Outcomes for Children. We will be talking about the report on another show. We just don't have time today. This is a summary edition. The climate crisis is a child rights crisis. And um, we're going to scroll down here. And when you look at the maps in this report, it is very, very telling. Okay? It, it, it just blows you away, frankly. So scroll down here. So I'm going to look at this a little bit here. So, for instance, as I said before, I had listed some statistics, 820 million, a third of the, of the children around the world 
are currently highly exposed to heat waves. Okay, that's on one map. Another map, 400 million children, that breaks down about one in six children across the world, are highly exposed to cyclones. Okay, very dangerous situation. Another map shows 330 million children, one in seven worldwide, are, cur are currently highly exposed to flooding. 240 million children, one in 10 globally, are currently highly exposed to coastal flooding, which is different than riverine flooding. Okay. 920 million children, that's one-third of the world's child population, are highly exposed to water scarcity. This is truly frightening. And when droughts go on, you've got water stress, um, contamination. Some of, these, some of this water scarcity isn't just weather caused. Some of it is caused by industry. You know, we know that in the Amazon, uh, based on the reporting uh, done in, in, in the tort case against Chevron, these mining operations dumped uh, poisonous uh, materials in the water and, and it made it unusable, okay? 600 million children, one in four, that's 25%, are highly exposed to vector-borne diseases. And in case you're unfamiliar, vector-borne diseases are things like malaria, dengue fever, and others, okay? And it's gonna worsen because this is going to be prime condition for mosquitoes and other pathogens that transmit those diseases. And in those same areas, the kids aren't really able to access much medical care either, so babies die. So I'd like to ask, you know, the Republicans in Texas, how's that pro-life thing working for you? Apparently you don't care about children of color in the global south. You're just worried about protecting zygotes. Okay, let's go on. Two billion children, that's almost 90% of children across the globe, are highly exposed to air pollution. Okay? 815, <coughs> excuse me, 815 million kids, that's again over a third globally, are highly exposed to lead pollution. And that comes from contaminated air, water, soil, and food. Keep in mind, lead poisoning causes permanent and irreversible brain damage in children. Children are more vulnerable to this. They're physically more vulnerable, okay? They're physiologically more vulnerable. You have to remember there's a reason why you take your kid to the pediatrician and the doctor is very careful about what medicines they give them because a child's system absorbs things more quickly. So those medicines hit them more, more severely. You have to be careful with them. Children are more at risk of death compared to adults from diseases that are further exacerbated by climate, uh, climate disasters, like and that's diseases like malaria and dengue fever. Okay. Uh, the report also examines, for the first time, the percentage of children that live in areas that have multiple overlapping climate and environmental hazards, okay? 
um, whether it's drought, floods, and severe weather, and they those particular hazards working together also just further marginalize lower income people as well. Okay, and when you look at these maps, it's really amazing. Um, they they've got it here. Um, there's a map here, number of hazards, shocks, or stresses uh, for children, the extremely high category, uh, predominantly in South America, Central America, uh, Africa, parts of Asia, parts of Europe, not as many. Um, you know, again, the global south for the most part. Colonialism still lives. Then in these areas, children have trouble accessing basic services that they need, like health, going to a doctor, nutrition, education, social protection. Okay? And it's just this constant cycle of disaster. It never stops. Okay? Um, this report also has in this children's climate risk index, there looks like there's four pillars. Let me see. Hold on, I'm scrolling down. I think it's four. Two of the pillars that they talk about. Pillar one is exposure to climate and environmental shocks and stresses. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and those are the following. Water scarcity, riverine floods, coastal floods tropical cyclones, vector-borne diseases like malaria and dengue fever, heat waves, air pollution, and soil and water pollution. Pillar two is child vulnerability. That deals with child health and nutrition, education. Something to call WASH, water, sanitation, and hygiene, and then poverty, communication, and social protection. A lot of children die in the global south from waterborne diseases because there isn't proper sanitation. And it's not that these people don't want proper sanitation. They can't access it because their water has been contaminated. And often by, yes, colonial powers. Okay? Let's move on. Countries where children are at most risk. Most of them are in Africa. Central African Republic, Chad, Nigeria, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, Somalia, Niger, Sub South Sudan, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Angola, Cameroon, Madagascar, Mozambique, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Benin, Burkina Faso, Ethiopia, Sudan, Togo. Let's see. I just lost my place here, folks. Is Cote d'Ivoire, Equatorial Guinea, Liberia, Senegal. India, Sierra Leone, Yemen, Haiti, Mali, Eritrea, Myanmar, Philippines, Papua New Guinea, Democratic People's Republic of Korea, Ghana, Gambia, Uganda, Vietnam, China. It goes on and on and on. Okay. It would interest you to find out that on a list of some 163 countries, Children in the United States are at number 80. So we're not doing so well either. Children in the United Kingdom, 111. Canada, 117. Let's see. 
the least dangerous country in the world for this, the three least dangerous, New Zealand, Luxembourg, and Iceland. It says a lot, doesn't it, folks? Okay. So these kids that worked on this report with the adults, they're tired. They're tired of being ignored. They know that their futures are really dire. And we have a system internationally where multinational corporations and big banks that fund multinational corporations and trade treaties that settle things using basically arbit rigged arbitration that doesn't even begin to resemble the rule of law. All of these things work together to make it impossible to save this world. Seriously. We have to have major political reform. And I don't mean a year from now or a month from now. Now, yesterday, in fact. You know, I, I agree with the kids in terms of going on strike. The adults should, too. You know, if you care about your children, we should have a series, not just one, a series of national strikes for every country in the world, for everything with the only exception being emergency services like medical and fire. Everything else comes to a roaring standstill, and we back each other up. It's the only way. We can't count on our political systems because, again, they're bought and paid for. We can't count on our politicians because, again, like good whores, they're bought and paid for. We know we can't trust the police. They're, they've always been bought and paid for. I'm not saying violence. I'm saying just stop. That's what a general strike is. Everything comes to a stop. Make Jeff Bezos take out his own damn trash. Just a thought. A lot more to this report. Um, you can access it on the UNICEF uh, uh, website and um, you know these kids are really miraculous uh, there is a poem here that they have I'm going to read it it's entitled for every child for every child whoever she is wherever he lives, every child deserves a childhood, a future, a fair chance. That's why UNICEF is there for each and every child working day in and day out in more than 190 countries and territories, reaching the hardest to reach, the furthest from help, the most excluded. It's why we stay to the end and never give up. We are going to be doing more on this topic. Make no mistake about it. Um, I lost my place here, folks. Um, we're going to be talking about that other report that was um, speaking to uh, economic needs of these children. You know, once again, 
we've been we've heard a lot of talk recently to give you an example of the US pullout in Afghanistan. And you know, we we hear mainstream media talk about how the Afghanis um, their military just stood down and did nothing and you know, they're not defending the girls and they're not, def- and we're basically committing character assassination against people that are outgunned by the Taliban. And we tend to do this with every culture we don't really understand. It doesn't seem white enough or Christian enough. We have to stop. Um, because the fact is that when we do this, we're really hurting not just them, we're hurting ourselves as well. Uh, when we look at a community that we don't understand and we just say, well, those people, they just, they're, you know, they're savages. They don't care about the kids. It's not true, all right? It's not true at all. This is this habit that wealthy people, especially from extreme capitalism on steroids, they love to blame the poor for their, their plight. I grew up hearing this nonsense. You know, this bigotry against being lower income, that poor people are poor because they're lazy or they're they're somehow just morally questionable, and it's not true. Poor people are poor because those with wealth are too selfish to pay a living wage. Poor people are poor because if they have a sick child, like my parents did, I was sickly, they have medical bills because we don't have uh, nationalized health care, and so they spent years trying to pay the doctor. Poor people are poor because we have an economic and political system that basically is rigged against anyone who isn't wealthy. And then it gives enough rewards to those that are moderately affluent that they're comfortable enough and they don't want to rock the boat. But make no mistake about it, when you take the attitude that poor people are poor because somehow they're lacking and the wealthy people are somehow wealthy because they're good people, that is a type of bigotry. Just remember, wasn't it, to borrow from Christianity, wasn't it Jesus that said it would be harder for a wealthy person, a wealthy man, to get through the eye of a needle a million times than to gain access to heaven. Paraphrasing. We're doing the same thing all over again. Basically, the powers that be are working hard to discredit these youth activists like Greta Thunberg. They're They're working very hard to discredit the legitimacy of the global south. to discredit them and and strip their humanity and their dignity away from them. Stop it already. Because it's all a pile of lies. The poor are poor because the rich, more often than not, are ruthless and cruel in their addictive hoarding of of, of the planet's resources. That's it. Nothing else. And the children are paying the ultimate price. We're going to be talking about this more in other shows. This is not going to go away. This is the Environmental Justice Report, and this is an issue of justice that we have to keep hammering away at. 
So with that, I'll say this is the environmental justice report with me, Janine Moloff. And this, during these days of awe, I will reiterate the same thing. There is no room for ambiguity here. Either you work for economic, economic equity, social equity, and environmental equity for all, especially the world's poor, or you cannot call yourself a moral or decent person. And that's our report for tonight. We won't have a report next week because Thursday night falls on Yom Kippur. We'll be back on Thursday, the 23rd. With that, I say good night and God bless.